A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It's Thursday, and we don't usually put an Arscast out on Thursday, but I did mention a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to do something a little bit different with some of the episodes during the summer. Not quite as football-focused or, you know, obviously Arsenal-related, but maybe go off on a tangent here and a tangent there. And last week, we spoke to Peter Majuzzi, who's the uh, stadium announcer at Arsenal. Got some uh, really interesting stuff on the background to his job and what it's, uh, what it's like. And my guest on this particular episode is not directly related to Arsenal, but is an Arsenal fan doing something fun and interesting on the internet. So I thought it would be good to have a conversation with him. I was initially planning on doing like maybe half an hour of this and another half an hour on the uh, the transfer stuff, all the stuff that's going on this week. But this conversation went on a bit longer, so I'm going to put it out as its own episode. And we will, of course, have another Arsecast for you tomorrow. So an extra Arsecast rather than an Arscast Extra, which we will have for you on Monday, as usual. So my guest today is an Arsenal fan, but I didn't know that when I first came across his work. I explained how that happened uh, in this conversation. He is on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, but primarily has become something of a an online sensation, if we can say that, via TikTok. And I think the best thing for me to do is just go straight into this conversation so you can understand who he is, what he does, how he does it, and all the rest. Enjoy. Okay, now on the Arsecast, something of a first. We've had a lot of guests down the years, but I don't think we've ever had a... Can I call you a TikTok superstar? I'm not sure if that quite covers it, but 
That it, sounds like a pejorative. It does a that's, little that's, bit. That's that's not a compliment. <laughs> I've I've embraced the term content creator, even though I don't really like it. Hashtag content creator. That's what it is. People who know you will know you on TikTok and uh, on other social media platforms as Chef Reactions. And if I can just give people a, an idea of what it is that you do. Uh, you react to videos of people making food. It boils down to that, basically, with your expert chef hat on at times. Uh, some of it's good. Some of it's amazing. Some of it's amazing in how good it is, and some of it's amazing in, in how bad it is. Where did the idea come from? Honestly, Andrew, I just started doing TikToks out of my office about a year ago, just over a year ago at work. Um just kind of as a as a way to blow off a little bit of steam before I get to f what's my language parameters on on here uh go for it with as much gusto as you would like you got it um so I I, I was a professional chef as I said and I just I would take the few moments out of my day that I had um and just sit in my office and, and start recording TikTok videos and here I am a year later and I'm on the Arscast it's a it's a different journey to the Arscast, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, are you or have you been surprised with how how big it has grown in such a short space of time, considering it's something you just sort of, you picked up your phone, you're looking at these videos, and basically, you know, the, the premise is somebody's making food and you are doing a kind of running commentary on what it is they're doing, good, bad, or indifferent. They're really funny at times, they're really touching at times. Um, very rarely do you go in completely two-footed on, on what's happening. Uh, there's always just a little bit of a get out at the end, but, but, you know, was it kind of a bit of a shock how quickly oh, they grew? Absolutely. Like I, 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 I started doing this purely for shits and giggles, literally had no other intention. Um, and then things kind of started to steamroll. I actually deleted my TikTok account when I had about 50,000 followers because I was getting overwhelmed. Um, right. Just with the amount of bullshit that was coming my way in the comment sections and and all that kind of stuff. And, and like I never once in my life wanted to be, for lack of a better term, famous mm -hmm. like that never really moved the needle for me whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 been a shock to say the least. Like I people ask me, what's your secret? I like I don't fucking know. I don't know why people <laughs> even like watching my videos. I don't like watching my videos. Well, yeah, people have that with their own voice or their own face or whatever it is, you know, it takes a while to to get used to that, but uh I I mean, I saw one of your videos for the first time probably a couple of months ago where my wife said to me, oh, "You got to see this guy. He's uh He's really funny. He's doing these food videos and I love food and cooking and all that kind of stuff. And you, I can't remember what it was, but it was probably one of those crazy ones where someone's using their kitchen counter to make an enormous pile of what shit shit basically yes you know <laughs> sort of dressed up as something that you might put inside a burrito maybe at a yeah. push it was one of those so i was having a look and looked at a few of them and then i said oh, i must check out his twitter follow him on twitter and see see what he's about on there clicked onto your twitter and i noticed that you were following me and i then had a quick look at who else you were following and uh, we've taken a little while to get in here. The reason that this crossover is happening is not only are you doing uh, great stuff on TikTok and social media, but you are an Arsenal fan as well. So yes, sir. Yeah. So we'll come to that. We'll come to your, to your Arsenal journey, but I wanted to ask you a bit about your background, about your background sure. as a chef. Was that something that you, 
that you always wanted to do? Is it something you kind of fell into? I know it happens to a lot of people that you start working somewhere and then you kind of get, you get into the industry. Yeah, well, what had happened for me, like I, I come from a family of immigrants. We, we hail from Croatia originally. Um, and I, I, I graduated college and I went into work in the insurance industry, believe it or not, uh, working a desk job nine to five. And I did that for a couple of years and I just, I fucking hated it. Like I, I, I always knew I wanted to be a chef, but my family always said, don't work with your hands. Don't work on your feet, you know, get a mm. nice cushy office job, sit at a desk, something stable and, and you'll be happy. But I'd always had a love for food ever since I was a kid. I grew up uh, with my, with my grandmother and she, from an early age, instilled that love of food into me. But I never thought that it was a, a potential career. And then one day I just got burnt out of doing insurance. I said, you know, fuck this, I'm done. And I sold my house. I sold my car. I put myself through culinary school, moved back home with my grandmother, um, and didn't never look back. Right. I mean, it is a very high stress industry to work in. You know, kitchens can be... Well, hot place is not just because there's a lot of cooking going on, but tempers and there's a lot of pressure. I mean, is that is that something you miss or is that something that you just get used to as a chef? You know, you work your way up. Obviously, you don't go in starting at the top and you have to learn your craft along the way. That's a bit of a journey as well, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I started pretty much how a lot of chefs start. I started as a dishwasher and I worked up to a line cook and then from line cook to sous chef, sous chef to uh, executive chef. Um, and I don't miss the stress. I definitely don't miss waking up at three in the morning, wondering if I ordered cantaloupes or wondering <laughs> if my dishwasher is going to fucking show up the next day or, or that stuff. I, I do not miss that. The thing that I miss most is the camaraderie and right. the people that I used to work with. Um, the, the job is not as glamorous as the food network and, and other outlets would have you believe, um, <laughs> You know, at, at the higher you grow, the higher you climb the ladder, the less it becomes the f about uh, the less about the food it is, uh, and more about the financial aspects, the people management, um, making sure that the business of a kitchen operation is successful. So, once I got to that point, I started becoming jaded because it became less about the food, which is what I loved, and more about the business and cost cutting. And after the pandemic, mm. you know, you saw prices of everything go up except for the wages sure. of the kitchen staff. Um, and I, I, my responsibility as a chef was to, as I said, make it a, a successful business. And part of that is cutting people's hours and, and sending people home early. Or if you're mm. on a schedule for five days a week, maybe you're only working three days that week. And at, at a certain point, it become it became very taxing on me to have to do that to people um, because I know how little money there is floating around the industry and I know how important it is to people to be able to feed their families, pay their rent, do all these things. So I was just tired of, of listening to my corporate over, or that, that corporate overlords. You sure. can edit that to make me sound intelligent. No, that's okay. They've got that little chip in your brain. They're, they're trying <laughs> to figure out. I mean, it is a, it is a really difficult thing. I know uh, I've seen you talk about Anthony Bourdain, um, who, uh, I, I don't know if he was an inspiration or not, but oh, huge! I remember reading Kitchen Confidential, and 
simultaneously wanting to be a chef and not wanting to be a chef at the same time as like Schrodinger chef. I don't know. But you know, when he talked about, <laughs> when he talked about those things, you know, the business aspect of, of running a kitchen, you know, if you're dedicated to your craft and you want to make the best food possible, you still have to be there trying to figure out, you know, where's the meat coming from? Has the fish guy arrived? Is the vegetable guy here? You know, that, that's gotta be the, the biggest challenge of, of being in a position that you're in, I guess, as a sort of like the, the head chef. Is that the, the right way of putting it? Yeah. It, it, like I said, it becomes a lot less about the food and more about the kitchen as a whole and, mm. and, and worrying about managing, managing your team, managing your staff, making sure it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, being a football manager. You, you, you've got all these personalities that you're dealing with, but you're all working towards one common goal. Mm. And as as the chef, you know, putting on the Mikel Arteta Lego hair <laughs> for the day, it's it's that's your that's your job is to make sure that you're 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 working towards a goal and and that the rest of the team trusts the process. So has doing this in some way allowed you to visit or revisit the things about food that that you really love? Because a lot of it, right, I don't know what you think about this, because I'm guessing there is a part of this sort of movement on, on social media, people making food, look at this thing that I am making. Some of those people are very clearly doing disgusting things on purpose, right? Right. In order to sort of go viral or whatever it might be. Like the woman who said, this is how you make a British cup of tea and did it in a way that made every British person absolutely apoplectic uh, with rage, right? Yeah. But there are also things that you do and you focus on and you, you do videos about where I'm not sure if that's the case. Like they are making something that looks horrible I mean, what percentage of people do you think are actually just really bad at making food, but quite willing to put it out there versus the people who are trying to, you know, get themselves uh, viral, if that's the right way? I, I think the the percentage of people that are actually bad is very small. Like, I would never rag on somebody for trying their best mm -hmm. and coming up with a subpar product. That's shit happens right uh these accounts though that you're referring to what i've learned uh recently is that they are a form of hand pornography that is uh that is catering to a very what? very small <laughs> subset subsect of people um that like to masturbate while watching people do crazy things with food this has gone in a direction that i didn't think it was going to go and is that a real thing uh, apparently it is right um, and, and i've i've been i've been accused of being the reason why more of these accounts have popped up <laughs> um, because I, I i tend to i tend to give them a little bit of light um but it, I, I like to find a, a good balance in in what i do i don't want to be known as the chef that hates everything or the chef sure. that shits on everything or the angry chef like gordon ramsay's got the angry chef thing down i don't need to be that so i like to do I just have opinions. So I, I like what I like. I don't like what I don't like. And depending on the video that I watch, that's the, re that's the reaction that you get. And every video that I've ever done, uh, with the exception of a couple brand deals, is the first time I've ever seen that video. Right. I record it one shot, one take. I rewatch it. If I find it remotely funny, 
I'll post it. If I don't, I just delete it and move on to the next one. How do you source the videos? I mean, do people send them to you? Do you get messages? Is it just a matter of like scrolling through TikTok, finding something and, and thinking that might be the one? Well, I get I get tagged mm. several thousand times a day right. in, in comments. Um, <laughs> and what I do is if I notice that I've been tagged a handful of times in a similar because I can see just the thumbnail mm -hmm. of the of the video that I'm gonna do. So if, if I've been tagged a handful of times in the same video, then I say, oh, well, this one's probably worth doing. Right. I mean, you've found some amazing people as well. Um the the pastry guy whose name I can't remember now. Amori Gishon. Oh, holy. I mean We're signing him as left back this year. Yeah, he's uh, he could bring something to the team for sure. Uh <laughs> incredible pastries up and down that left hand side. I mean, that is that's not something I would ever have come across if I hadn't sort of seen your videos. Um I mean, how do you even begin to explain what that guy does and the learning process that he must have gone through to create these incredible desserts, basically cakes, pastries, chocolate-based desserts. I mean, he will make a literal fucking dinosaur out of chocolate yeah. and then paint it, and it looks like a real dinosaur. They, they, it's almost a shame that those things get eaten. They don't actually get eaten. So oh. I'm, I actually <laughs> met him uh, about two months ago. And it was for a brand deal that I had done. And they flew me out to Las Vegas, which is where his pastry school is. And I met him and we talked for a couple of hours and just the nicest, most humble person I've ever met in my life. And, and it was very refreshing. Um, he has worked so hard for so long to master that technique. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so, I don't want to say enamored, but uh, maybe I, I admire him so much is that it, that skill set is so alien to me. Mm. Like I was never a pastry chef. I never really had any 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 interest in becoming a pastry chef. Um, I always say that cooking is like a roadmap. You can get to the same destination via different avenues, but baking and pastry is much more like a blueprint. Where if you miss one screw, the whole sure. fucking orphanage comes crumbling down. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you you have to be very very careful with that kind of thing. Um, so his appeal to me is like, it, it's, it's almost like I'm disgusted with how much I admire him and, and it bothers me how good he is at things because I'm not good at those things. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It does make sense, but I think you just have to step back and, you know, accept the fact that you are never going to be that way. It's like, I'm never going to play up front for Arsenal and, you know, right. neither are you at this point. Probably not anyway. I don't want to. I'm 40. I'm, I'm, I'm well, right. well beyond my years. Yeah. 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 You, you've gone off the age cliff already for sure yeah. um no but it's it's it, you do just have to look at it and go that that's incredible um the other the other one that i really like is the uh, i think he's a retired gentleman is he in france maybe yeah he, he's i think he's in australia, australia actually, okay. but he is he is french okay um and that's another thing for me like i i have a reverence for senior citizens i take care of my my 88, soon to be 89 year old grandmother. I'm her primary caregiver. I've lived with her for the last 15 years. And so I always hold the door open for, for senior citizens. Like sure. I, I may be a prick online, but in real life, <laughs> I, 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 I do have a, a reverence for the, the elderly. Um, and I, I just, I like people that it just seems like they're living. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's what that French guy just seems like he's fucking living the life. Like he's 
you know, making giant steaks at noon on a Thursday, making cassoulet on, you know, on, on a Wednesday, just living the dream. Absolutely. And, and so that to me is like, first of all, I don't think I'm going to live to 75. And if I were to live past that, like that would be the life that I would want to live. Just that embracing of, of all the different ways to relax. I sure. guess you could say. It is. I mean, out of the pressure cooker of a, of a, you know, working kitchen, I find personally get, like cooking is a really great way of of winding down. I went through a period when Arsenal were bad a couple of years ago where I would bake. Okay. Be, you know, just to sort of take my mind off things because like you said, there's a precision in that where you have to measure the ingredients. Like, a, you know, general day-to-day cooking. If I wanted to season it, I can, you know, just work away and, and throw things in here and there and I'm happy enough with how I do that. But you can't do that when you're baking. So all the neighbors would be like, oh, Arsenal lost again. Uh, and I know this because there's like, you know, a Basque cheesecake on my fucking doorstep <laughs> or there's like 16 cupcakes or something. But it is, it does give you that that sort of switch off, which I think people need. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't do that for me. I, I, sure. I, I hate I hate cooking now. I don't even like it at all um, because of what I did for so long. Also, my, my home kitchen is not set up in the most efficient manner. Okay. And for me, efficiency in the kitchen is key. Like it, it just absolutely drives me insane if I don't have the equipment that I need or, or the space that I need or, or uh, mm. if things are in disarray. Um, so the act of cooking, I'm starting to get back into it. Um, I got a pizza oven sent to me the other day. So I've been playing around with that. Uni? Uh, no, a Gosney actually. Oh, I've heard of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Gosney Dome. I think he's. I think he's English, if I'm not mistaken. The the founder of that company. But just things like that have have started to rekindle my passion for the kitchen. I guess you could say. And and being out of the kitchen for the last two months has been very refreshing to me. Like yeah. I do yard work now, and I don't hate it because it's not my only one day off in 21 days and I've got to fucking cram in going to the store, going to the bank, doing the gardening, going to the grocery, doing all that shit in one day. So now I, I, I'm much like the French grandpa. I'm able to kind of enjoy the things that I wasn't able to enjoy before because I have the time to enjoy them. Right. I mean, if you did have to cook something for yourself at home right now that you would enjoy, what's your sort of go to, I mean, like my favorite thing in the world to cook is a braised beef rib. I I I, I love a classic braised braised beef rib, nice wine reduction, red wine reduction, mm. nice plate of mash, maybe some glazed carrots on the side of like like. To comfort food is my favorite food, um, and that would probably be my my go to thing to cook. Now, if you were to ask me to make something right this second or something that I eat very frequently, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Uh, hovering over a garbage can right just so i can it's like my ptsd i just i have to i have to be eating hovering over a garbage can to feel like i'm actually consuming food because when i worked in kitchens that's all that's the only time that i would eat would be hovering over a garbage can wow it feels like you need some relearning you know to get rid of the the scars of the kitchen time i i do yeah Yeah. i need reprogramming what are you like when you go out to eat are you able to sort of separate your chef's brain from what what comes on your plate my dad right um he was in the service industry his whole life like worked as a chef worked in bars managed hotels 
all that kind of stuff. And he was very, very particular about the way things should be done in a restaurant, at a function, whatever it might be. So every time, every single time that we went out for dinner with him, particularly as he got older and did not care as much about what he said and how he said it to people, you know that you know the way that happens? Um, yeah. You're sort of sitting there going, oh, I hope the waiter does this, or I really hope the waiter doesn't do that. Do you for want of a better word, suffer from any of that? I mean, yes and no. Uh, yes, in that I can see patterns in the dining rooms when I'm when I'm sitting there, right? Like mm. I, I can almost anticipate where people are going to be and where food should be going and things like that. Like my wife fucking hates going out to dinner with me for that reason. <laughs> um, because like literally one time we were, her and I were out to dinner and I was watching, like I, I, I tend to sit facing the kitchen if I can face the kitchen and i was watching it was a hamburger and fries and it was on uh under a heat lamp Mm -hmm. on the pass which is where the food goes from the kitchen to the uh to the servers and i see the the cooks and and the servers just kind of playing grab ass around the bar and i'm and i'm sitting there and i'm waiting and i'm like somebody better pick up this fucking burger because it's dying (laughs) in the window and uh it got to the point where i was i said to my wife excuse me for a moment and i got up and i went over to the server and i said hey that burger has been there for about five minutes. How will we fucking take it to the table so that people can eat their dinner? And uh, my wife was mortified and so was the server. So that was good. But on the flip side of that, I'm also a lot more forgiving in the sense that I know what it's like to deal with a shitty customer. Mm. And I know what it's like to have things go wrong um, because of things that are not in your control. So servers, by and large, like if I get served a, a plate of food and it's mediocre and the server comes by and says, hey, how was everything? I'm not going to say it was fucking terrible. I'm just going to say it was fine or it was good. And I'm going to just move on and, mm. and still tip 20%. I know you people don't do that over uh, on that side of the uh, that side of the water, but I tip 20% generally when I'm out uh, to eat. But yeah, I'm I'm a lot more forgiving than the average customer would be just because I've been there. I've been there. I've done it. I've. I know maybe the meat guy didn't show up or, or maybe, yeah. you know, the morning guy fucked over the afternoon guy and not, by not doing the prep. So there, there's, all, so there's all sorts of mitigating circumstances that kind of affect my mood in a restaurant. But it, sure. it, it could go either way. I'm, I'm like Two-Face from Batman. I, oh, could, I okay. could be nice one time and just a total dick the other. What, I mean, as a chef, are you insulated or separated a little bit from customer complaints because you know i'm sure you could tell some stories and you know about the the sort of stuff that comes back food coming back into the kitchen because it's not cooked the way that people want it i mean you're you're sort of buffered though by the the waiter or the waitress um in there i mean uh, do you have occasions where you're sort of a bit more face to face with a a customer or have there been well a, a restaurant is, is is broken down into front of house, which is the service service side, uh, waiters, servers, bartenders, hostesses, uh, and back of house, which is your, your kitchen staff. Mm. I'm back of house for a reason, uh, because customer service is not my strong suit, as you can probably <laughs> gather from any of my comments when I mm. come back at idiots on the internet. Like, it, it's not really something that I was ever suited for, Um you know, there were times when I would have to go into the dining room and put on that, hey, folks, how are we this evening? How is everything going? Like, I had to oh, put on no. that voice and, you know, and and do the table checks. 
by and large, I, I tend to stick around in the back. And then when we get the complaints, we can just swear and, and curse out the customers, but they'll never know because the server will bring them whatever we had to rectify with a smile on their face. And, and we mm-hmm. move, move on. Is Burdane right? Never eat fish on a Monday? One million percent. Yep. Cannot emphasize that enough. And also just as a general rule of thumb, think about where you are in relation to large open bodies of water. Like people in the middle of the United States shouldn't be going for sushi. You know what I mean? Like if you're Mm. in Nebraska and the closest, uh, the closest ocean is several thousand miles away, probably don't go to your local sushi spot. It's probably not going to be that great. Um, you know, UK is obviously different. You've got, you're surrounded by water and you've got, a, I would assume a, a, a bounty of, of, of seafood and, and fish and stuff like that. But yeah, generally on a, on a Monday or Tuesday, avoid it. Soup of the date, never get that daily special avoid as much as humanly possible. <laughs> Cause that's just what was left repurposed and refashioned into something else. Yeah. If you, if you're ever at a place and there's like a beef dip, or something on, on menu or like a shaved roast beef sandwich or something like that. Chances are it's from a an event they had the day before where they overcalculated how much beef they were going to need and they just shaved down the rest of it and tried to pawn it off in $20 sandwiches. Oh my God. Well, yeah, all these things. I think the Burdain book is, it should be, um, it should be, uh, required reading for everybody who likes eating out not just to get the amazing stories that he tells and how he tells it but there are like nuggets of that all the way through where you know uh, i i think i've i've taken plenty of advice from him from that book and also you know the tv shows that he does of course yeah that book was was one of the main catalysts for me getting into a kitchen I, i read that book when i was going through a tough time in the insurance industry, just kind of feeling like I didn't have a place because like, I don't know, you've seen my videos. Can you imagine me working in a fucking office with human, (laughs) human resources departments (laughs) and people talking about fucking reality TV around the water cooler? Like I was not built for that life. Sure. Um, so I was having a bit of a, uh, bit of a crisis and, and I just, I, I got that book and I read it and it, it spoke to me. Because as I said, I'd always loved food and I always kind of felt out of place. And the way uh, Tony, people in the industry, we call him Tony, Uncle Tony, um, the way he described it um, was like a place for the misfits. Yeah. You know, like very much the the misfit, uh, the the island of misfit toys from Pinocchio or, or, you know, a band of ragtag assassins, Um, just people that don't really have a place anywhere else for whatever reason they tend to find a home in the kitchen. And, and that was the first time in my adult life uh, when I started working in kitchens, even as a dishwasher, where I felt this is for me. I could do this. Yeah. It's, um, it is kind of communal in a way, isn't it? Because there is a sort of a hierarchy where you can, you can work your way up. And there is, you know, I've done very little of it. Uh, I've worked in bars, but not, not in kitchens. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's a, uh, it's certainly better than being in an office. You know, I was the same when I worked in like tech support, internet tech support. And it was just like, I literally can't do this. I'd sit, I'd sit at home, come home from work and I'd sit in the back garden and look at a plane and go, 
I oh, yeah. would love to be on that. I have no idea where that plane is going, but I'd rather be Any, on that plane. Here, yeah. yeah, anywhere but going into that fucking uh, business park the next day. Yeah, I, I used to sit in my car for a half hour before going into work, and I'm like, am I fucking, am I doing this today? Am I really going to go in there and mm. do this and, and give another little piece of my soul to this to this soulless corporation? And and at a certain point, it was like, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, you didn't. So <laughs> here you are. Uh, here I am. Here you are. On the Arscast. On the Arscast. A couple of quick ones before we get into some uh, Arsenal sure. chat. If you were to give a tip to somebody, you know, a lot of people like food, but aren't particularly confident about cooking, uh, you know, how to how to put things together in a kitchen, you know, for your sort of average home cook who's learning along the way, what what are a couple of tips you might give them? Number one, learn how to use a knife properly. Practice. Learn how to hold a knife. Be comfortable holding a knife and get better at, at, at holding a knife. Another thing is you can't get better at cooking without repetition. Uh, a small sidebar, when I when I first started moving up from the from the dishwashing side to like the line cooking side, mm. I, I worked a pasta station one of my first days. And so it's got the memory with all the different areas to dunk your pasta. And then I had eight burners um, where I would, you know, finish the dish, saute off the, the, the vegetables, the meat, the sauce, whatever. And the first time I tried to saute, which is to jump in the pan, mm. uh, it landed all over me, <laughs> like all over me. And I, I was trying to be cool. You know, I should have used it, some tongs or something like that. But that night I went home and I took the same size frying pan that I was using at work. I filled it with dry kidney beans. And I sat on the couch and I just kept doing it over and over and over and over again until I didn't drop a single kidney bean. And the next day I went into work and I never looked back. Like I, I was just, I was, I got it. It, it stuck. Sure. So practice. Uh, also, I would say don't waste your money on culinary school unless <laughs> you are, per, unless you are planning on making a career out of being a chef. Um, there are plenty of resources online. You can go on YouTube and find fucking pretty much anything mm. that you want to learn on there. Um, so that that's a good piece of advice. Um, also, don't think that just because you like cooking, you're meant to be a chef. Because I guarantee you, 90% of you are not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a hard, arduous, thankless job. Um, so that's, uh, that's another piece of advice. And, and just experiment. Don't be afraid to, to get out of your comfort zone. Try some ingredients that you've never worked with. Try some ingredients that you've never tried. Maybe try something that you don't necessarily like and ask yourself, why don't I like this? But, and why do other people like that? So you kind of understand um, the, the, the psychology behind food because there is a psychology behind food as well. Um, yeah, just, just don't be scared. Don't be scared. And also cooking is not that hard. It's really not that hard. Like people like to fucking um, turn professional chefs into, you know, borderline gods. And it's like, it's not that fucking hard. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a trade. We're trades people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just because they're celebrity chefs doesn't mean it's anything other than people cooking food at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, when you see some of the stuff on, you look at some of the master chef stuff and that, but they're working in, they've got everything at their disposal in those kitchens as well, don't they? So... You know, it's Master not Chef is one of the one of the main contributors in as to why people think that they can fucking become a chef because you're taking a group of home cooks 
who have never worked a day in their lives in a restaurant. And at the end of this contrived, often scripted, often they've got recipe cards next to them and they're guided through recipes. At the end of that, you're taking a home cook who has never worked a day in their lives in, in a kitchen and calling them a master chef, which is insulting to people like Jacques Pepin and, and people like that who are actual master chefs. Um, it, it just, it, it, it provided a level of, of accessibility for sure. But what it did was it clouded people's judgment into thinking that, hey, I'm, I'm good at cooking. I can be a good chef because as, as I said earlier, there's so much more to being a chef than just the food aspect of it. Mm. Like anybody, anybody can be a line cook. I've worked with line cooks who were then and probably are still now better cooks than I was in the physical aspect of cooking or more creative than I was in the sense of coming up with dishes or, or things like that. But what they weren't better than me at was leading and being a leader to the rest of the team and the, the financial aspect of it and the business side of it. So that's, that's kind of where the word chef gets a little bit uh, bastardized okay. is, is master chef. What's the worst thing you've ever eaten? Uh, fuck man. That's, that's a good question. Like I'm, what's the word? A balut, balut egg. That's the worst thing that I've ever had. Oh, we, yeah. I I didn't eat it, but I'll tell you my Balut story. Sure. Is we went to the local Asian market and we bought, you know, the bits and bobs that you get in there, bought some eggs, went out one evening, came home, hungry, decided to cook up a bit of uh, sausages, might as well have an egg with the sausages, broke the egg into the pan <laughs> and was like, what the fuck is this? There's a whole chicken in this pan. Yeah, is it ch chicken or duck? Is it duck? I don't know. Who fucking knows? The the problem with 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 it's either balut or balut. Either way, is I'm always cognizant of what may be disgusting to me, may be a delicacy to sure. others. So I don't really judge people that do like it, but I do I do question it. Like I'm just like. Why? What's the appeal here? Sure. Yeah. Now it's, I'm curious as, as to whether it's a duck or a... It's uh, a duck. I just looked at it. It says, uh, yeah, it's a duck or... Fertilized yeah. developing egg embryo. That sounds phenomenal. But it's um, fertilized bird, uh, bird egg, usually a duck. If people, you know, are not aware of what happened to me, I, I cracked the fertilized embryo of a small bird into the frying pan at a point where I really did not need to see that after a few pints. It was not, uh, it was not great, I have to say. And uh, I didn't try it. Zero out of 10, did not That's eat. That's fair. Zero out of 10 would not try. I, I give it a one out of 10 for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, and that one is, is, has an asterisk next to it. And that's for cultural purposes. Sure. Uh, and, and I will never, ever eat it again, ever. Me neither. Me neither. Uh, and I say again, and I never did in, in the first place. Um, let's talk Arsenal. So how sure. how did you become a gooner? Well, I'm I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 this year. And when I was 16, maybe 15 or 16, so like 98, 99, mm. is, is when I, I went to my local library um, to 
rent some movies because you used to be able to to get VHS tapes from the local library and they didn't cost anything versus Blockbuster, which did cost money. Um, and I saw a, a VHS cassette of Anfield 89 and I had never, I had never seen it before. I, I knew nothing about the story. I knew nothing about Premier League football at that point. Mm. I, I, I was a, uh, a North American soccer fan, um, but I wasn't a football fan at that point. And, and I had very limited exposure to the sport, pretty much only World Cups at that point. Because yeah. there wasn't the internet. It was very hard to get um, decent coverage of, of, the, uh, of, of the Premier League. So I watched that, that, DV, that DVD. I wish it was a DVD. <laughs> that would mean I was younger. I watched that VHS tape and I fell in love just immediately. Like I just, there was something that drew me to it. And, and it was tough to explain. There was, there was, I, I can't even put my finger on it, but I watched that fucking VHS tape 300 times. Like I kept it for a year and a half before <laughs> returning it to the library. <laughs> and then when I returned it, it was cheaper for me to just buy it from them versus actually pay the over, over yeah. uh, the late fees on it. Um, so that, and that was right in and around the time when Arsene Wenger had, had, had come to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that for me, that was when I got into it. And then ever since then, I've, I've been a gooner. I, I bleed red and white, or in this case, it's, uh, you've it's got, pink. I'm wearing, I wear this shirt more than the actual team wore it. Um, yes. So yeah, just since then, it's just been, uh, uh, through thick and thin, good times and bad times, invincibles, banter era, all of it. I, I'm here and, and, and I'm a, I'm a gooner for life and I always will be. It's, uh, you know, it's become a lot easier, of course, you know, from the point where you, where you began to, to now where it's impossible not to be saturated by, by just Arsenal, if you want, but football in general and, and the yep. way it's gone. So I guess, you know, in, in, or down the years in North America, it's become easier and easier to make connections with Arsenal fans and to sort of feel connected. Would that be fair to say that you can feel connected a lot more with the club these days than, than back then? Oh, absolutely. Like back then I had to pay for a service called Satanta Sports. Hey, I did voiceovers for Satanta Sports. So No shit. There I you go. Did, yeah. So I paid like, well, my parents at that point paid about $40 a month mm. to get Satanta Sports. And that was the only way that I could get any sort of, of coverage. But like you said, now it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Like I've got an athletic subscription. I, 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 I can I can see what anybody's talking about Arsenal at any given time on Twitter, good and bad. Mm. Um, it, it's 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 a whole community. There is a division in the in the community for sure. There are various rifts uh, based on different factors. Sure, um, but the accessibility is 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 it's totally changed it for me. Like I, I watched every single Premier League match this season, and for the last. 10 seasons, right? Like it's just having that ability to do that has changed it. I've never been to an Arsenal match ever. You've got to change uh, that, man. You've got to I, sort that out. I, I, I'm i going to New York uh, end of July. So I'll be at the match at, at MetLife. Maybe we'll July. see you there. Who knows? We'll have a pint if you are there. Yeah. Um, but as I said, it, it, I take care of my grandmother. So leaving her to go overseas is difficult for me. Sure. Um, but one of my one of my biggest regrets in life is not being able to go to Highbury. That that one hit me hard. Yeah, I mean that was that was the home. Um, I mean, you could do a brand deal with 
United Airlines, maybe they could bring you and your grandmother to see. I don't do. I won't do anything that has the word United in it. <laughs> Fair they enough. They can fuck right off. All right. There's commitment. If Emirates, to if Emirates wants to wants to do a deal, that's different. But I won't. I don't even date girls named Chelsea. You know what I'm saying? I'm married now. But when I was when I was younger, I could meet a, I could meet the the hottest girl at a bar or whatever, and she'd be like, "Hi, my name is Chelsea." And I'd just, no. All right. Well, yeah. Good job. Well, you don't meet too many girls called Tottenham as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> my best friend is a fucking Spurs supporter, and and he has been our entire lives, and it's just it's awful. Did he just pick that to annoy you, or I think so? Because why? Why the fuck else would you pick it? You're not picking yeah, it based but... off success or quality football or anything like that. You... Certainly not back in '98 or whenever it was. No, not no. now either. Fuck. Um, yeah, no. It's it's. Uh... I forget what we were talking about. We were just talking about um, dating girls called Chelsea, which you're not going to do uh, at any Correct. point. And Correct. And nothing with the word United in it. And even like to the point where if I was in my uh, my restaurant and I happened to be walking around a uh, the dining room and I would see somebody with a United shirt or a Chelsea shirt or you don't really see too many city shirts over here, but mm. I would just casually walk up to them, tap them on the shoulder. I'd be like, excuse me, sir, uh, we don't serve your kind. <laughs> if you can please leave the premises immediately. Just as a joke. Of course, as a joke. And certainly there'll be nothing different on their plate than anybody else's, I'm sure. Absolutely not. No, no. Professional Never. to the core. To the Always. core. Always. So uh, just finally, what are you looking forward to, you know, this summer and going into next season? Um, it, you know, it was good fun last season. I don't know if you experienced the fun of it. I did. Yeah, it was, you know, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end, but it was a fucking great trip, I have to say. Look, I had I had low expectations, right? Yeah. Like even even when we were top of the league for as long as we were, I I I would always, you know, to my friends I would I would use the wolf quote from uh Pulp Fiction and let's not go sucking each other's dicks quite yet. <laughs> I I've been I've been around long enough to know that until the end of May um, you can't really count on anything being being certain, especially with with the way City were playing. Yeah, um, they went on a tear at the end of the season. Look, they won the they won the treble. Like coming in coming in second to a team that won the treble is is not something to be embarrassed about. I I wouldn't say we bottled it, but I also could see that that side of the argument. I feel like a lot of Arsenal fans, and I, I apologize, but they're very reactionary uh, in the hey, chef reactions. <laughs> but they're very reactionary in the sense that, like, you know, even we're on a tear, we're winning, we're we're top of the league, and, and people still like, oh, we're losing by one. I'm going to leave before the final whistle. Like, it's just to me, or or like Arteta out, or, or Edu, what are you doing? Like, relax. Like, you play FIFA twice a week. And you think that you can fucking run a football club? Let the professionals do what they do. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about running a football club or or picking the right players to to play for uh, the system that you want. But these people do. That's their job. They get paid millions of dollars to do so. So user four five six seven eight. You don't know shit. Shut your mouth. So that that's my message. Um, <laughs> as for this summer. Um, I think I think we need to to nail down the the Declan Rice deal as soon as possible. I, I did see today that that the uh, Havertz deal is coming to mm-hmm. completion. Yeah, um, which is it's exciting. I mean, it, it, to a certain extent, I'm tired of of taking 
on Chelsea players that haven't quite worked out at Chelsea. But considering he's only 24 years old and did fairly well in a garbage football system, um, I think that's going to be an exciting signing for us. Um, with the news of, of uh, the perhaps Thomas Partey leaving, um, I think we're still a little bit thin in midfield, especially if Shaka leaves. Mm. Um, I, I I think we need another striker, uh, especially because we're probably going to have some exits. Like Balogun's probably going to going to move on. Um, so I, I think what we need more than anything this season, and it's not, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, but it's, it's depth and quality depth and being able to have rotation so that people like Saka played every fucking game this season, mm. right? We, if we had somebody, I mean, we, we have Trossard and, and, and he could fill that role, but I mean, we need quality depth. I don't know. Just, we need, we need better quality in depth. And, and I, I don't want to lose Kieran Tierney. Um, because I fucking love him and I have since, since we've signed him. Um, but I'm, I'm open to people leaving as long as we're not left short, because what it feels like over the last couple of years is there's been far too many exits with good reason, because we had to, to, to kind of trim the fat and get rid of some of the dead weight. Um, but we've just not been filling those gaps. Sure. And, and I think with a few right pieces, I think we can challenge again next year. And and I, I know we're going to have a little bit more fixture congestion with, with the champions league, but I think we can make a decent push in the champions league too. Like I, this core is the most I've been excited for an Arsenal team in a long time. They're young, they're hungry. They want to learn. They're willing to learn. They're willing to adapt. Um, Arteta gives people the the freedom to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Whereas I feel in the past, maybe if somebody were to make a mistake and, and then a second mistake, that person was benched for for a couple of matches, which mm. could significantly impact their their confidence. But I think I think more than anything, Arteta's building a foundation where the players are given freedom to fail, if that makes sense. It does, um, yeah. I mean, how do you the equivalent of sitting at home with their saute pan full of kidney beans till you yeah. get it right? Yeah, you trust the process. Uh, uh, nobody thought we were going to be mm. second place this year. Not yeah, one yeah. fucking person. If if they say that they did, they're lying. We all knew that top four was was a, for lack of a better term, a victory this this season, this past season. So I think. As long as we're not regressing, as long as we're pushing forward and building on that momentum, I think that I don't think you can ask for much more than that. Like every people are so obsessed with instant results and and you know how many fucking managers get fired within the first month or two months of them doing their job, and mm. how many people called for Arteta's head in his first year of, of of being manager of the club. And I think progress is what I would like to see most this season and ambition. Yeah. Ambition in the transfer market, knowing that we had, we had a chance and it slipped through our fingers and why did it slip through our fingers and what do we need to do to do to ensure that it doesn't slip through our fingers again. And I think that everybody, again, I'm an outsider, but I think that everybody at the club recognizes that from, from everything that I've read, um, you know, Ornstein or whomever, 
it seems like people recognize that and recognize the, the opportunity that we got and why we fell short. So I think if we address those issues, I think we, we stand a chance. I always think we stand a chance. Um, but I, I think we can really contend to, to, to push for a title next year, more so than we did this year. And, and, and we just fell off at the end. Mm. And, and like I said, until the end of May, it, nothing matters. Well, let's hope we can uh, nail the transfer window, as Arteta says, and uh, and continue to scrap and fight and be competitive and enjoy the football. Um, we had better leave it there. It's been sure. a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time um, and for what you do on TikTok, which is uh, both uh, tremendously entertaining and sometimes educational because you can get some ideas about things to cook in the kitchen. Continued success uh, with everything and uh, hopefully we can catch up in uh, New York and have a pint. Let me just say, Andrew, that it's it's been an honor for you to ask me to be on the Arscast. I've been reading your blog since the inception, listening to this podcast for years and, and it's just one of those surreal things that's happened to me in the last year that that I'm very grateful for. So thank you very much. And apologies to all the Arscast listeners for having to listen to my accent. I'm sure they tuned out <laughs> fucking 20 minutes ago. I'm sure. New York, sir, if we can get a, get a pint together, that would be phenomenal. 10 out of 10 would drink, for sure. Thanks, Andrew. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Chef Reactions. There are far too many social media platforms for me to give you his handle on all of them, but just pick your flavor and search for Chef Reactions and you can find him on there and follow him on there. And the videos are great, really interesting, really fun. 
And I have to say, I love the idea that somebody can just do something, start something with no master plan or no great intention for it to become anything other than a, a way to amuse yourself or pass a bit of time. And it becomes something that you could never have thought of or, or expected. And uh, in some ways, it does remind me a little bit of, of Arsblog in that I started the website in 2002 and had no idea it would become what it is today. So the best of luck and continued success to Chef Reactions. And hopefully we can share a beer and uh, a chat about Arsenal in real life when we're over there in New York during the summer for the game against Manchester United. And afterwards, uh, I'll be in L.A. as well for the game against Barcelona at the SoFi Stadium. More details on summer stuff uh, to come in the next couple of weeks. For now, I'm going to leave it there. We will have another Arscast for you tomorrow. We'll be talking about Kai Havertz. We'll be talking about the transfer market. We'll be talking about all the bits and bobs that are going on. So you get that too. Hope you've enjoyed this particular episode. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being with us. We will, of course, have our... uh, a new signing podcast exclusively for our Patreon members as well this summer. Every time we sign a player, we will do a podcast to give you the lowdown on that signing, what they might bring to the team and all the rest. Patreon.com forward slash arsebug if you want to get on board there. For now, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.